This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dara here. Oh, I am happy today. What a beautiful day. What Have you seen? Have you managed to get any of your herbs? Like, are you eating them yet or you're just letting them kind of go? I put in a big rosemary and a big bunch of lavender. My little one's into lavender. They have it at her school. You get, I think you get like a little essential oil lavender when you're too wired. <laughs> so it's got this kind of coveted, like you only get the essential oil lavender sometime. So this year, my garden is full of lavender. We are just, I don't know what we're going to do with it. I don't really like eating lavender. People have been trying to get me to do this for 20 years now. And I, every time lavender is in a cookie or it's in a panna cotta, it's in... I don't like it. The only time I ever like it is when it's with lemon in, you know, if an iced tea or something. I don't know. Stay tuned. This exciting breaking development will develop. This is what we have today. We are talking. It's all Vikings. And if you say, no, this is not Viking season. This is twin season. That's because we're talking about the other Vikings. The 700 A.D. to 1300 B.C., those guys with the that we name things after, right? And so the reason we're doing this is ASI, the American Swedish Institute, is having uh, this exhibit. It's running through almost Halloween's, just opened. It's very, very cool. I went and did the media preview, got to see these Viking helmets. They are so beautiful. Uh, they There's a... The way that they have them is like the top of them is bronze and you can see all the really fine work and it survived really well. But then the bottom part where the chain mail is has rusted over the years and then it looks like a like a web of bees. It is totally freaky. Oh, it is such good stuff. We have a special guest here from ASI, the Swedish Institute, to talk about Viking food. I think maybe this is the weekend you just start digging a pit and throwing rocks in and setting a fire in there, and then you have a Memorial Day Vikings feast. But I think you basically have to start now. It's very complicated. So we're going to do that. As ever, I always want to know what you are cooking. You know I live for this. We are on the new text line, 651-989-9226. I want to know what you're up to. But also, do you have any, you know, Swedish, Danish, Finnish, Norwegian? You have any stuff in like high rotation? Any Viking foods? Very interested. Uh, so we're going to talk about all of this. You can text me six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. And it's all Viking hour. All right, Patrice, welcome, welcome to the show. Patrice Johnson is here. She wrote this amazing book called Yule, which is all about different Scandinavian baking Christmas things. I wanted to have her on for Christmas, and then I don't know, some things fell through the cracks. I never connected, and now I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. All right, let's just dive right into the deep end of the pool. Viking, the Vikings, they lived a long time ago. Did they eat anything that we eat? What is the Vikings' foods? 
They ate a lot of stuff that we eat now. In fact, when we always say that it's kind of a kind of redundant to say everything old is new again, but when we talk about new Nordic food, so much of that philosophy really comes back to eating locally and seasonally and eating what you can find in your own backyard. And that's how the Vikings ate. And I always kind of think of um, uh, Chef Sean Sherman, our indigenous chef here, talks about looking for sustainable uh, ways of eating and living by looking at what the indigenous people of your region did. And I think the same is true with the Vikings and Scandinavia and our Nordic regions. Yeah, it's so – I love Sean Sherman. He's having a year. That is great. It's. I ran into him at the grocery store the other day, and there was like a photographer, you know, like a People magazine shoot just in front of the carrots. I was like, oh, okay. I guess we're <laughs> famous now. Um, that was fun. And w- the things that I, I did – I put up a funny recipe gallery of Viking treats. We'll get to that. But like a lot of it is pretty familiar. So you get a, a lamb – or I guess they maybe would have had a caribou, and then you roast it. Actually, caribou might not have been Ooh. a very common food because hunting uh, was not a common gig. You had to be either really wealthy or have a lot of leisure time to hunt, and only about 1% to 3% Oh, that's right. I would foods, read about that. Yeah. Like people, the terrible lords and princes of old, they used to just own all the land and yep. nobody was allowed to go on it. Yep. And you could actually be hung and stuff like that for po- uh, poaching a deer. Yeah. The- and only about 1% to 3% of the the food that archaeologi- archaeologists have found um, in their digs come from game. Really? Mm-hmm. A more common would be cattle, which I'm told were about the size of a Great Dane or a deer back then. Tiny cattle. Tiny cattle, and they were used for, of course, milk. Dairy was a huge, huge part of the diet, but they wouldn't drink the milk uh, like we would. Uh, They would actually make it into skier, which is pretty common now. We're getting a lot of that over, so like a yogurt milk, um, which has become big, I think, in Minnesota diets uh, and always, always big part of a Nordic meal. In fact, um, last week we had... uh, Danish Viking reenactor and historian. Her name is Mia Louise Sellerup, and she was telling us about how a skier was actually like ketchup to them. It was a condiment on everything. So the skier would be made from the milk. You would boil it down and separate the whey, and then you could use the whey for pickling and um, drinking. So that, that was a really important part of the diet. And, of course, eating the cattle, too. So the skier would be a condiment. You put it on bread? Would You, you put, put it on it everything. On fish? You put it on everything. You would drink it. Uh, you would actually travel with it. Uh, you would put it in your leather pouch and bring it with you to eat later. Uh, it was, it was a, a really big part of the diet, as were vegetables. So wait a minute. <laughs> if I get a Siggy's yogurt, vanilla yep. yogurt, and I put it in my kid's lunch bag as he eats almost every day of his life, that's the Viking lifestyle? Your child is a Viking. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Yeah. He's going to be so happy when I yeah. tell him this. Because <laughs> he does. He has a soft-sided lunch bag. So that's almost yeah. like a pouch. It and is. then there you go. All right. Everybody, <laughs> get some Siggy's yogurts and put them in your soft-sided lunch pack. And then, <laughs> and then you just go to your cubicle. I think and, that could be a new marketing campaign for them. <laughs> I know. Siggy, send us a check. All right. So... Um, so that I'm very interested in. And then 
But there were breads. I'm always oh, reading cereals, about. Big, big, big. Yep. So, of course, barley uh, is one of the main, most important cereals because you could use it not only for porridge, which was an everyday meal, but you also made beer out of it. And beer was really, really important. You didn't drink water. You drank beer. And you would make this is a lifestyle for me. <laughs> just putting, I'm putting a dairy all day and beer all night. Bring it on and beer all day too. Beer all day too. <laughs> See, that's why those, those are good times. Uh, and so, tell me about that because the beer wasn't exactly the way we know it. It was not a world of hops. It was not. Uh... Oh, that is something that I think is becoming um, more argued. Oh, really? Yeah, where hops. In the past, they thought maybe hops was uh, brought in, imported. Um, but when we were talking to Mia last week, she believes that they actually were growing some hops because hops was grown there later. And there is oh, see, a I possibility was, I was that— under the t- Maybe this is old information. This, but- I think the hops is a new thing, absolutely new. Because I thought it was that they had you know spiced beer. They would put different sweeteners and different seasonings, whether you know caraway seed or— um, Whatever it was. Uh, sweeteners, no. Sweeteners were not known. I mean, honey. Well, I mean, like mead. They, they were honey using... and was was also an import because they didn't, they hadn't really? domesticated bees yet. So only the very wealthy would have mead. They'd have to import the honey and then, um, you know, add the yeast and the water to make the mead. And it was a very special thing. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. I've been living in a cloud of misinformation about the role of mead in Viking culture. All right, so it was beer. Beer, and they'd make it about once a month. They'd use the barley three times. So the first beer they made would be the beer they would lock away, and that was the good beer. That was for festivities and celebrations, maybe if you had guests. Uh, The second beer might be, yeah, that was a pretty good beer too, but um, not as good as the first beer. And the third beer would be like all day, every day. So... That was a really important part of the diet, obviously, um, for the nutrition and the calories. Yes. The barley was also important for the cereal, as was rye and uh, oatmeal a little bit. Wheat, again, in the southern parts, maybe in Denmark, a little more common because it was normally imported. Uh, the cold climate, you couldn't grow wheat. That was just fascinating. So it was uh, a lot of fish. Yep. And then... A lot of beer, <laughs> and then a lot of dairy. It's not sounding too bad, is it's it? It's sounding pretty good. Yeah. I think I know people that are living this Viking lifestyle right now, possibly by accident. All right, I'm talking to Patrice Johnson. She's in. Uh, she was, works a lot with the Nordic Table, which is the food program at the American Swedish Institute. The Swedish Institute just opened a show about the early Vikings. It's called Vikings Begin. I was very impressed with it. We're going to take a little break here and come back, talk a little more with Patrice. But if you've got Viking foods in your personal rotation, uh, text me, 651-989-9226. I'm very curious about all of this and uh, more in a moment. All right, Dara here. We are back. We're talking about all kinds of Viking eats with Patrice Johnson. She runs, or she's a big part of, I should say, the uh, the Nordic Food Program at the American Swedish Institute. I went and previewed the Viking show, the new Vikings Begin. It's really fun. If you hit like a very hot day this summer, you should definitely go to the Swedish Institute and check it out. They had a a very evocative uh, scepter, like a, this thing you would hold on to, like a walking stick maybe. 
would be a less romantic way of saying that. And and it's got this very ornate, uh, gilded and metalwork top. And it's just so interesting to think about somebody, you know, a thousand years ago, like holding this thing and doing whatever he or she was doing. It could have been could have been a lady. There's some fun stuff in the show about uh, Viking women, Viking women getting buried with swords. What was going on? We don't really know. We know a little about the food. Um, So, oh, you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to shout out to Faye. Patrice's mom is a longtime WCCO listener. Faye, thank you for listening, and thanks for giving us your wonderful daughter who's brought so much good food to the world. Oh, a big shout out to Faye. I'm raising my coffee in your direction. Um, All right, so Patrice, how can people kind of enter into this whole Vikings experience themselves? Are there like Viking cooking that you should do or Viking thinking? Viking thinking, like philosophy. I don't know. Should you put some? <laughs> should you put some herring on some uh, flatbread? What's the like? Oh, what's the entry always point? put some herring on flatbread? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, so much of what's going on today in our community. We're so lucky because we uh, have people who are really into food, and foraging has become a really big thing. Uh, foraging, like ramps, finally came in a week or two ago, and people are doing the fiddlehead ferns and. Just even spruce tips. I just um, wrote about this. I went up yep. to Bachelor Farmer, and they have a full-time forager now, Alan Burgo, who has been on the show. And I tasted all these things that I, of course, ha- don't remember the names of now. They had, you know, crazy, like, it's uh, dragon's tooth. It's like, ooh. Yeah, it's great. And we think of foraging as a really important part of the Viking diet right about now, because this would have been the time of the year that all the food was gone. Everything they had stored for the winter was gone and nothing was coming up in their gardens. And uh, yeah, each uh, house yeah, you would can't have a garden. go to the plant sale and just <laughs> exactly. get some lavender and put it places. Exactly. So they would forage for greens and that helped to sustain their diet. Uh, but again, foraging was sort of like hunting where only certain people did it. So it might be the servants, the elderly and the young because they had the time uh, to go out and look for these important items. And that's how you teach the young what to get. You send them out with the elderly. That's right. That makes sense. All right. Um, and so you also do a herring through the ages class. I'm very yes. interested in that. So herring's been a thing for a while. Like it's not like a, you know, didn't just show up in the 20th century. Oh, herring has been an important part of the diet in the Nordic area forever. Because of uh, it's not like our lake herring; it's actual ocean herring or a sea herring. So it's fatty and it's really intense in nutrition. That was a, a very important part of the diet, um, and able to sustain the people. Fish in general sustains that region. Did they uh, have onions? They had ramps. They had ramps. they had tiny onions. Um, the onions they had weren't like the big bulk onions we get at the supermarket. They were much smaller, almost like a white onion uh, that you would find. Because herring I, and onions is delicious. It is. And that is – so they were just sitting around. Um, some of the other Viking techniques I have read about for food prep, drying. Drying was oh, obviously a big thing. Drying, smoking, pickling, curing, those were all really important parts of the Nordic diet then and now. And living in a region like we do in Minnesota, where you were asking earlier, how do we 
incorporate that into our diets now or into our, our fun food now. And those preservation techniques are important in any cold climate because obviously we have a really short growing season, especially this year, and <laughs> a very long winter. So those techniques are not only indicative of, of that food, but really an important part of the culture. I love it. So it's such a it's such a smart way to do things. I mean, it's very sustainable. You're not using any energy. You're just hanging some stuff up and letting the wind help. Or and the smoke and because the smoke. these people lived in longhouses, which were comp- there was a smoke or a fire in the middle of the house that kept them warm, and uh, all the cooking was done there. And if you can imagine, last week we were outside at ASI um, doing a Viking cooking class with the fires going all day long. And even though we were outside, I came home smelling of smoke. And my backpack still smells like smoke. So I can't even imagine what it was like to be in an enclosure with the smoke going 24-7. Oh, it must have been. it's, It's a romantic idea. All right. So this has been just so much fun. All right. So everybody. Go down to the Swedish Institute. Check out this whole Vikings Begin show. It is, it's just fascinating. And um, there's all kinds of different, you know, food activities. You've got a bunch of stuff coming up, like Swedish street food. That's not very Viking, but you've got, you know, different Viking drinking and Viking eating. And it's just, it's just fun. Celebrate the Vikings in twins theme. All right, we're going to take a little break here. Patrice, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. This has been a blast. All right, we come back. I will continue to just uh, shout out to Faye, our listener, who's Patrice's mom, (laughs) brought us all this great stuff. Dara here. All right, this is my favorite part of the show. Get a little Ask Me Anything going on. You got some questions, 651-989-9226. All right, but we're also going to do the recipes because... I worked hard at this. <laughs> so right now at WCCORadio.com, up on the main website, our new snazzy website, still looks good to me. I still think it's new. Uh, I have a top five foods of the ancient Vikings for Memorial Day weekend. That's fun. All right. So in honor of this, I've kind of brought together a couple of things. First one, plank fish. Oh, this is a kind of interesting way of cooking fish. You're a Viking. You get some. You get a cedar board. Then you take a rainbow trout. And you you gut it. You take out all the, you know, the parts we don't like to eat. And you peg the trout to the board. Yeah, you just get some, you know, wooden nails or some wedges or whatever you get, and you just attach it, and then you stand it up, and let it smoke, and that's just. If you do that, send me a picture. It's nuts. This is even this is even crazier. Viking lamb. Pretty straightforward. First, you just get a leg of lamb. You dig a very large cooking pit. And this is different than American barbecue. Is you fill it with stones. Your stones and your rocks, very important. Then you set a fire on top of your stones and rocks. Get your stones and rocks very hot. And then you throw in your leg of lamb, which is wrapped in leaves, or tinfoil if you got it. I don't know. If you do this, send me a picture. Tweet me at Deirdera because I want to see that. Now, here's the most popular Viking recipe. It is called a cauldron of assorted things that are boiled. So I looked at this a lot. and It's just basically you're going to set up your cauldron or your Dutch oven, whatever you got over your campfire. You get some water in there, some salt, whatever meat and green things you have, just whatever you got. You're going to add it and then and then boil. That's what you got. That's soup, but really it's more about the method 
than the than the <laughs> the final ingredients. It's kind of neat. I would put some nettles in there. That's what I would put in there because you want some tang. Otherwise, you just got some boiling mutton over a campfire. I don't know. Viking flatbread. I have a recipe for that if you want to look at it. Uh, these are all at WCCORadio.com. So you're making a very rustic dough, and then you smash it. You make it into little balls, and you're flattening it, and you're cooking it on a hot something or other over a fire. So I would do cast iron griddle. And then you're putting that butter or skewer on it. That is, that's an easy entry. I think you start doing this now, and then you'll perfect it. And then by the time fall rolls around, you can tailgate and eat real Viking foods at the Vikings. And then I would certainly write about you, or someone will. All right, and so now I have a couple of links to present day. That's how I round out this thing at WCCORadio.com. Present day Viking style ales. One of my favorite breweries in Minnesota, I haven't had them on the show in a while, is Olvalde in Rolling Stone, Minnesota, little farm brewery. And they make a bunch of historically relevant Viking-style beers, uh, a thing called an aurochs horn. They're really delicious. He does an amazing job. We should get them on the show. And so there, you have a Viking beer with your Viking flatbread. You're enjoying your plank fish and your pit full of mutton. That sounds good, right? Call up your friends. Be like, hey, guess what? Come over, pit full of mutton. <laughs> I think that's a – no one's going to refuse that invitation. That's a delightful, a delightful way to spend Memorial Day. All right, so those are all up at WCCORadio.com. You can enjoy this. You can send it to your friends. You can say, one year, one year we're going to fill a pit in the backyard with mutton, but perhaps not this year. All right, so I got some questions coming in. Do I personally forage? All this talk about foraging. Oh, my friends, I do not forage. I grew up in New York City. I'm afraid of foraging. People are always trying to get me to go forage in the in like urban parks, and all I can think is, you know, what's in urban parks is a lot of urban dogs. And then where does this all go? Um, I do, I do have guinea pigs. However, we haven't talked about that in a long time. I know you're waiting for the update on my elderly guinea pigs. I forage for them. They really enjoy crabgrass, so sometimes I'll go outside and get a. A clump of crabgrass, and then they also very much enjoy dandelions. So sometimes when I'm coming home from a walk, I will just start weeding other people's lawns and grabbing their dandelions, but I don't eat them. I don't know. I maybe it may be just like not for my generation. I'm too old to really feel comfortable foraging. I think that you have to learn to do it when you're open-minded and young. All right, I got another question. Uh, somebody has tried a couple of rosés, and they're all really different. And the question is why? Uh, that's a great question. There are very many kinds of rosés. Uh, I've been drinking a bunch of them because of my liquor boy situation where I have an island in there. And we, I have the wines that I pick and recommend. And they're all there. They're super cool in St. Louis Park. Uh, but I have tried rosés myself that are like tangy and chewy and intense. And I've had ones that are like a stiletto. It's like a, a just a racy just a bing, 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 like it just kind of goes through you right away. And those are all because rosé was uh, just kind of something you made to get through this, to just get some money on the table, mortgage lifter, drink fast. It was a farm product, more about the cycle of the year. And then the last couple of years, people are super into it. And so everyone's like, oh, there's money to be made. I'm going to take my odd grapes that I didn't quite 
know what to do with or didn't have a great market for, and I'm going to turn them into a rosé. I had a, I just tasted a Sangiovese, the Italian grape rosé that was um, just so weird and good. It was just like a strawberry lemonade. And then in France, where they do it more traditionally, uh, there's this great Chapoutier rosé that I've been, you know, it's kind of my go-to, and it's just like a stiletto, like stickety stick. All right, and so if you want to, well, I don't know, keep this up. It's a it's a good question, and it's just because it comes from different grapes, different winemakers. Everybody's in this big experimental phase because Americans are suddenly super into rosé. All right, next week, what is happening in our lives? I've got Mike Kempernick here. He's got that crazy wild mushroom growing thing or, or mushroom growing thing in Keg and Case in St. Paul, if you've seen there, where it's just like a big, glass aquarium full of mushrooms that stretches to the ceiling. He does this thing every year called a Wild Foods Fandango. So he's going to be coming in and talking about that. Maybe he's he'll be the one who convinces me to actually forage. Until uh, then, may your dandelions be mild and your ability to withstand adversity be very wild. I'll meet you here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.